Please be turning in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44. Isaiah chapter 44, beginning at verse 9. Isaiah 44, verse 9. Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a god or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals. He fashions it with hammers, and he works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he's hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out one with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yet he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. The point is, is, is the absurdity of this all out of the same block of wood. He goes out, he plants this, this pine tree, the rain nourishes it. It's a piece of wood. And he takes it in and, and he burns part of it to stay warm and to bake his supper. And then he takes this wood that has no personality that he has complete control over, burns what he wants to, takes it into his house, chips away at it, makes something out of it, and falls down for it and worships it. Isaiah's just saying that's, that's, that's foolishness, that's insanity. That, that's the point. But, but he goes on to explain it even more. He burns half of it, verse 16, in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied, he even warms himself, says, ah, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, that same block of wood that is, he makes into a god, his carved image, and he falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. Here's Isaiah's point, listen to this. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I've roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? The point again is you take this block of wood and you, you use it for all of these things. It's a block of wood. Then you make it your God. The same block of wood you use to heat your food. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Verse 20, he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? He's, man, in this condition, in this situation, is too 
too blinded to see what he's really doing, that this is pointless, useless. It has no value. Tonight we conclude our little sermon mini-series entitled, And Man Said, Let Us Make God in Our Image According to Our Likeness. Not just in our image, but according to the way we'd like him to be, according to our likeness. And as we have said, there is nothing, there is no other being either on the earth, under the earth, or in the physical universe, or even the spiritual realms themselves, that is like God. Nothing and no one. For his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways above our ways, and his thoughts above our thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. By the way, if you're taking notes, make sure you get a sharp pencil, because there's going to be a lot of them. I don't have time to cover all of this, so we'd be here for hours. Hence, as we have proven throughout the scriptures from this entire sermon mini-series, there is nothing in the universe that makes the one who created it all much angrier than his creation turning away from him to worship that and in ways which they have, cri which they have prized and created in their own feeble foolish and flawed hearts and minds and imaginations. And yet this is continually what man has done throughout the ages, just as God knew they would. God knew they would do this, Deuteronomy 31, 20 through 21. We've covered the fact that the Israelites in Exodus 32 made a golden calf God, even despite the fact that 12 chapters earlier in Exodus 20, the very first commandment was not to make any carved image. God didn't want them making a form, and yet in Exodus 32 they did, and, and we saw how God was angry, so very angry with them. We also noted in this little sermon series in 1 Kings 12, 26-33, how Jeroboam made two golden calves gods to worship while instituting many religious rites that he had devised in his own heart. And how later in 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, all of those that followed him throughout the hundreds of years that followed faced the wrath of God for daring to do the same thing. This forbidden sin, this great sin as it's called in the Bible, of making God in our image or of making God over in our own minds into something more to our liking, than what the scripture says. This forbidden sin that is so foolish and fatal and eternally deadly is evidenced in the New Testament as well. It's not just in the Old Testament. Turn to me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. In verse 16 of Acts 17, we read that while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. As we move down in Acts 17 a little further, we come to verses 22 and following, where Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Listen, just because they worshiped idols did not mean they were not religious. It just meant they weren't right with God. They were still religious, highly religious, very religious. Paul said, I perceive that you are. Right there in verse 22. 
For as I was passing through, verse 23, and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. The idea here isn't that God's people are not to serve and be his hands on earth, taking care of the needy and the poor and all of that. That's not the point. The point is he's not served with men's hands in the sense of making an idol, making a block of wood into something to worship, making an altar to the unknown God. In verse 26, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Paul says the same thing we've been saying these last two lessons. Paul said, look, that's not, there's nothing like God. God's not like anything. You can't fashion him into some form and fall down and worship. That's not God. That's pointless. That's useless. You're not seeking the true God if you're doing that. Truly, verse 30. These times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all, man, all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has ordained. This he has given assurance of to all by raising him from the dead. There's another New Testament scripture if you go forward to Romans chapter 1 with the same overtones. Another New Testament scripture where this idea is epitomized and summarized is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, where it begins by saying in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, watch this now, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Notice their futile thoughts, their foolish hearts, when they exchanged the God of heaven and made him over into something that was represented by those things which were made, the very thing that God said, don't do this, don't do this, and you know, the fact is that you won't find a lot of people today who have made God over into some man-like or man-pleasing physical image or idol to worship, perhaps. 
Modern man has done the same thing, only on an intellectual level. We may not have these created gods and uh, Pollux and Castor and Zeus and Hermes and all these. We may not make them like they had them in Corinth. We may not make the false gods physically. But in our minds, a lot of people today have made God over into something they would prefer he be rather than what he said he is. Intellectually, they have made him over into something else. And that is just as foolish and just as fatal and just as eternally deceptive, if not more so. When mankind tries to make God over in his head into something more politically correct or culturally acceptable, more along the lines of what man prefers or would like to believe God is rather than what the holy, righteous, and flawless God of heaven says he is. In fact, in the middle of this, the reading that we're in, we see this. fact is that there's a lot of people in our society today who have recreated God in their own minds and made him in their own minds into a God who made or created some men and women as homosexuals. You've probably heard that. They believe that, well, God did this. But believing in that version, that man-made version of a man-made or imagined God is just as futile and fatal as believing in any of those false Old Testament gods that we had up here this morning because that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible that we read about. That is a recreated God of our own imagination. If we believe he created some men as homosexuals, remember, the Bible says, this is the God who in the beginning created them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be bound to his wife and they shall become one flesh, Genesis 1 and 2. And so, Romans 1 goes on here to talk about these people who have begun to worship the creation, i.e. themselves, what they want, rather than the creator. It says in verse 24 of Romans 1, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature, rather than the creator. Again, worship themselves. Devised the ways that they wanted to be and what they wanted to enjoy and indulge in and then made God over in their heads to say, that's okay. That's what they're doing. And for this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. Verse 26, even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like, here we go, to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do all these things. They didn't want to retain the God and creator, the God of the Bible, in their knowledge. They wanted to reshape and reform him. And they exchanged his glory to serve the creature. There are a lot of other examples in our society today of modern man making God over into the image or according to the likes and desires and futile imaginations that they have. And each and every one of them is just as fatal and just as abhorred by the God of the Bible 
is those who worship physical recreations of him. There are so many. God's wisdom, God's plans, and God's spiritual patterns and purposes are not up for redesign. Who God is, what God wants and prefers, who God is as the God of the Bible, is not up for redesign, recreation, or renegotiation any more than his attributes were up for redesign in the Old Testament when it came to the days of physical idolatry. For example, here comes the note-taker's flurry. There are those today who in their heads have reformed, reshaped, and refashioned the great God of the universe in their own minds and imaginations into a God who's okay with people sacrificing and shedding the innocent blood of their unborn children on the altars of convenience and self-indulgence. Why is that any different than those who sacrifice their children on the altars of a Dremelac, and I forget the other name, a Dremelac and an Amalek in 2 Kings 17, 31, as we saw this morning depicted in the pictures, as they sacrificed their children in the fire to this false god and on that altar. Why is that any different today than sacrificing unborn children on the altar of convenience and indulgence? It isn't. Jeremiah 19, 1 through 9. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are those today who have reformed and reshaped and refashioned the great God of the universe in their own futile imaginations into a God who will not send any sincerely religious person to hell. Long as you're sincere, God won't send you to hell. That's a God recreated in their own minds because that's not the God of the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, those good and sincere religious people who had done some good things, but they had not done or known, uh, known to do and done the will of the Father. God said, what did Christ say? Depart from me, I never knew you. That's the God of the Bible. Now, now I realize that sounds a little strong to some people. I realize that may sound a little harsh to some people, but I can't change the God of the Bible and what he said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and I wouldn't if I could. You can't either. Neither can the world. That's the God of the Bible. Anything else or less is not the God of the Bible. Some today have reformed and reshaped and refashioned the great God of the universe in their own futile, foolish minds and imaginations into a God who does not see church or church attendance as important or necessary as long as one believes in Jesus. Brethren, that is not the God of the Bible. God gave the blood of his son for the church. Is that right? Acts 20 and verse 28. The church of God which he purchased with his own blood, unquote. If the church is that important to him, how can anybody say today that church is not important to God? We're also very aware of Hebrews chapter 10, 
And what it says in verses 23 through 39, any God that anybody has dreamed up in their own mind who thinks that church or church attendance and involvement is not important does not believe in the God of the Bible, but in a God they have made up in their own heads. There are those today who have reformed and reshaped and refashioned the great God of the universe in their own futile minds and imaginations into a God who does not care, does not care what church you attend as long as you attend one. They believe in a God that leaves it up to you to attend the church of your choice. Doesn't matter which one it is. That is not what the one God of the Bible said. The one God of the Bible said there is one body. And that body is the church. His son's church. The one and only church that has been in his immortal mind and plan since before the beginning, the church of Christ. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Ephesians 1, 22 and 3. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. Romans 16, 16. There are those today who have recreated and reformed in their mind God, and they've created a God in their own image or liking. They've created a God in their foolish imagination that accepts and approves one attending a man-made denomination that has never seen in his perfect and eternal plan, the Bible, in a, in a church that is totally foreign to the scriptures. Brethren, they don't believe in the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible said that such division, denominationalism, and multiplicity of man-made churches is no more acceptable to him than worshiping any of the multitude of man-made gods of their own choosing and devising in the Old Testament. We see this message in John 17, 20 through 23, 1 Corinthians 1.10, Philippians 1.27, Jude 3. Attending the man-made denominational church of your choice instead of attending the one church of God's making and choice, which we see in the New Testament, the one Jesus shed his blood for, the one over which Jesus is head, the one which carries Jesus' name, is as worthless a doctrine as the wooden idols that we read about in Isaiah 44. And the great and unchanging God and creator of the universe won't accept a mixture of man-made false doctrines mixed in with his perfect doctrine either. Any more than he did when the people feared the Lord yet served their carved images in 2 Kings 17, 29 through 41. There are many people today who have reformed and reshaped and refashioned the great God of the universe in their own fatal, futile, and foolish minds and imaginations into a God who will accept any form of worship as long as the worshiper is sincere. That is not the God of the Bible. That is certainly not what the God of the Bible said he would accept and showed us in places like Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, Matthew 15, 1 through 9, Mark 7, 1 through 13, John 4, 23 and 4, 1 Corinthians 14, 33 and 37, Galatians 1, 6 through 10, and a whole host of other places. I'm not just making this stuff up. Go back, watch this if you can't keep up with the notes. Read these texts, listen to what I've said, and see if that isn't what it said. And if it isn't, you come see me and I'll repent. But if it is, then it is. 
There are those today who have reformed and reshaped and refashioned the great God of the universe in their own futile and foolish and fatal minds and imaginations into a God who does not demand that one repent of their sins and be baptized specifically for the forgiveness of those sins, both in order to and before they can be saved. But that's a false God they have created in their own minds because that is certainly not what the God of the Bible said. He made it absolutely clear that his plan absolutely included repentance and, for, and baptism for the forgiveness of one's sins. In Acts 2, verses 37 through 47, 22, 16, 1 Peter 3, 21, and other places. I could go on, but I don't think I have to. I think the point is very sufficiently made. There are people today, religious or not, who seek to make over God intellectually, that is to say in their own deluded thoughts and minds and imaginations. They seek to make him over into something more man-like, more man-pleasing, more man-accommodating, more man-imagined, or more man-preferred. Instead of what his holy word says, God is. And those who do so are every inch as guilty of idolatry, making man over in their image, as those who did it on a physical level in the Old Testament. And God has no tolerance for that. God does not want that. God deserves better than that. So, here's the thing. Here's kind of the, 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 the top of the whole heap here. You see, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Instead of us as human beings, seeking to make the unique and unlike anything else in the universe God over into our image or into something more like we as sinful human beings think he had ought to perhaps be, the whole point of the New Testament is that we need to get saved and then immediately, we need to be the ones who start becoming conformed or made over into His image. That's the message of the Bible. Rather than make God into our image or what we want Him to be, the whole New Testament is all about becoming one of God's people and then us being made over into His image. That's where the focus and the energy needs to be. Becoming more like Christ every day. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are to be made over into God's image, not, and we've got it backwards when we try to do anything other than that or go in the opposite direction. It's not about us making God what we want him to be. It's about God making us what we need to be for our benefit. That's the message. Anything else or anything less or otherwise, which has us remaking God, into something more to our liking or our desire instead of allowing him to remake us into his image has it exactly backwards. Has it as backwards, in fact, as the title of this little sermon mini-series actually is from Genesis 1.26, which says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. 
The title of this sermon miniseries has got it exactly backwards, and that's the whole point. Because we do it backwards when we try to change God. The Bible's clear about this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See that? Whom he foreknew. God predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. It's about us becoming like Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Watch this. Watch this. Listen are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And we really see this in Colossians 3. Please turn with me to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, how much time and energy has been spent by mankind over the millennia trying to recreate God either physically or in their own minds, wasting all that time, bringing all the wrath of God upon them, when all that energy should have been devoted into them remaking themselves into the image of God rather than the other way around. Colossians 3. In Colossians chapter 2, he's talked about being raised up, about being baptized, buried with him in baptism in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and following. So Paul says then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Hello. Did he actually use the word idolatry in the New Testament? Yep. Did he actually use the word idolatry when it comes to us living and doing what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do? Yup. That's the word he used. He said all of those things. Passion, evil desire, uncleanness, fornication, covetousness. That's idolatry. Why? Because it's putting the creature ahead of the creator. It is serving me as the creature and what I want instead of the creator God and what he wants, and that's what's condemned in Romans 1. He says in verse 6 of Colossians 3, Because of these things the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and, watch this now, have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Bingo. There it is. We are to gain knowledge of God and be renewed in that knowledge that we can be made over into His image, which means putting off all that earthly stuff, all of that human stuff, putting that all aside and becoming renewed 
in the knowledge and remade in the image of him who created us, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. What does that mean? It means every Christian is to be made over into the image of Christ. That's where our energy must lie. That's where our efforts must be. Not remaking God, but letting God remake us into his image. Therefore, what does it take to look like Jesus? Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Do you see it right there? Even as Christ did, you must do. That's what it means to be remade into the image of Christ. Whatever Christ did, we are to do. We're to forgive like he forgave. We're to love like he loved. We're to do what he did. We're to be remade in his image. You see, the Bible tells us about Jesus. It tells us that he was the exact brightness of God's glory and the express image of God in Hebrews 1.3. Okay? In John chapter 14 and verse 9, he told Philip, if you've seen the Father, uh, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. Jesus was the exact representation of God. We are to become remade in the image of Jesus. So that when people look at us, we can say this is what Jesus looks like. That's the idea. We're remade in his image. Well, how do we do that? How do we let God remake us in his image? Well, we do what Jesus did. In John 4.34, Jesus said his food was to do the will of God. That needs to be our food if we're going to be remade into the image of Christ, who was in the image of God. In John 5.30, Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father. Jesus looked like God because he sought to do his Father's will. If we're going to be remade in the image of Jesus, then we, like Jesus, need to be committed to only doing the Father's will. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If we're going to be remade in the image of Jesus, that's how we do it. And finally, John 8, 28 and 9 in part says this. Jesus said, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. You want to let God work with you? You want to let God remake you into his image? That's how it's done. We always seek to do the things that please God. And in that way, we will have the right priorities and allow God to remake us into his image rather than us trying to remake God into ours. You know, there's a lot of things that human beings covet. We idolize. We spend our time on, we spend our money on, we send our resources seeking to obtain certain things outside of God. And then you know what we do? Say, well, I want to live like this. I want to live like this. I want that. I'm going to do this. I, I want to do this. And then what we do is, is when we, we, we pursue those things and we put all of our time and money and effort into them and they become our idol in a sense, then what, what do we do? We take God, we take the God of the Bible, and in our heads, we try to reform and remold and reshape God into somebody who wants us to have those same things too. Don't we? 
I want God to approve. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to find a way in my head to remake God and just twist him just a little bit. I'm going to remake him into my image so he wants for me what I want for me, and life is good and I'm good with God. And that's not the way it works. We do it, but that ain't the way it works. Because God still doesn't approve of those things just because we want them or want him to approve of them. And it doesn't matter how much we try to make him over in our own mind into a God who wants for us some of the silly and sinful things we want for us. The only thing that God has ever wanted from man is for man to love him. For man to love God enough to trust him that he knows what's best. The only thing that God has ever wanted from man is for man to love and trust him enough to revere him, to respect him, to obey him, and to become more like him for our own good. Do you agree that if we all became more like God, it would be good for all of us? Absolutely. Brethren, in closing tonight, please listen carefully. There is no God like the God of the Bible. There is no wisdom like the wisdom of the Bible. There is no savior like the savior in the Bible. There is no faith like the faith once delivered in the Bible. Jude 3, by the way. There is no church like the church in the Bible, the one that God designed and died for. There's no other church like that any more than there's another God like our God. And there is no plan with the power to save like the plan of salvation God gave us in the Bible. Just as God is unique, his plan of salvation is unique, his church is unique, his faith is unique, everything that we read about in the Bible, there is nothing else that man can come up with in their own heads on any of those, any, in any of those areas that can equal what God's already done. It can't be done. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, period. And the lesson should be, or that should be abundantly clear to us all by now, especially in light of this little mini-series, is that we, as God's creation, must never seek to recreate Him or his wisdom, or his son, or his faith, or his church, or his plan of salvation over into anything else that we have devised in our own minds according to our own agendas, ever, because that's fatal. What we need to do instead, brethren, is all determine Number one, to study, to show ourselves, to prove to God. And then commit ourselves to being conformed into his image instead of trying to remake him into ours on a daily basis. That transformation into his image 
begins when we hear and understand that he is, Jesus is the Son of God, that we believe it, that we're willing to confess our sins, we are willing to confess him as Lord and repent of our sins and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. There is no other plan of salvation any more than there is another God that can save you. Because the one God who can save you said that's his plan. Period. Tonight, if you would obey that gospel, if you're somebody here who has obeyed that gospel, you need the prayers of the church for any reason. Please come, let us help you right now as his church as we stand and sing. <laughs>